Well, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be together tonight. We thank you that you are breathing on our time. I just uh, thank you that your presence is resting on this teaching tonight. It's resting in our midst. I thank you, God, even now as we just breathe and in and we exhale that with every breath, God, we are becoming just more aware of our union with you. So we just take a moment, God, just to, I don't know, let all the distractions melt away, let all of whatever has led us up to this moment listening to this podcast tonight, Father, whether we're whether we're here live, whether we're listening to it over our phones or whatever, Lord, I just thank you that this is this is a sacred moment. <laughs> Just because we're with you, that every moment is sacred because of our union with you, because we're one with you, that we can, that every moment is special. Every moment is glorious, God. Not not because of what we're doing or what we're not doing, not because of the circumstances we may find ourselves in, God, but just because you're good, just because you're with us, just because you're in us. And God, we just want to, we're just switching our attention here tonight because you want to speak. You want to encourage us. You want to equip us and strengthen us, God. Edify us. Build us up. Remind us of what is true. Remind us of how much we're loved. Remind us of what is possible in our lives and remind us of our potential and just remind us of, of, our real identity, God, and all of the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus, God. You want to, I don't know, you want to preach the gospel to us all over again. You want us to hear it with fresh ears tonight and get excited all over again about what it means to be your beloved, about what it means to be in the kingdom. And so, God, we just, we do, we just breathe you in. We breathe you out. We're just surrounded. We're filled with you. We're, we're totally immersed in your love and your goodness. We're just, we're just swimming in oceans of yummy goodness. And so God, as we, just as we hear from you tonight, I say this every week, but I'm going to say it again. I thank you that this is a personalized message. I thank you that Holy Spirit can speak to thousands, millions of people all at the same time. Billions of people at the same time. There's, there's no limitation in the spirit and there's no limitation to what you can do tonight in the people that are listening to this message. And so I just release you to be, be who you need to be to every person, God. And I thank you that this is just exactly what the listener needs to hear tonight. I declare that we have ears to hear, that the eyes of our heart are open, Father, that the, the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, that our spiritual senses are alive and awake, Father, to the reality of your, your presence, to the reality of the spirit realm and the wisdom and understanding that you want to impart to us tonight, to, uh, to impart to us tonight, uh, Holy Spirit. I thank you that there, this is just a clear communication channel. The channels are open. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I am starting a new series tonight. I don't know how many weeks we will go with it, but I'm kind of joking when I, when I thought of, I don't know, I guess Jesus was joking when he gave me the title of this message tonight or the series. 
because I realized there really wasn't one place that people could go and really grab an understanding of the gospel that Shalise preaches. The gospel, and not that the, the gospel I preach is different than the gospel Jesus preached, or the, the gospel that the apostle Paul preached. Uh, but, you know, or frankly, it's the gospel. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's good news. It's the same message. You know, but I, I do also know that in the Bible there's, there's four different, we have four different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, we've got the apostle Paul's messages that he brought to preach the gospel. People are preaching the gospel all over the world right now. There's, and there's different flavors that, and different, you know, nuances and different focuses that each, each of the gifts of the teachers in the body of Christ that, that are, that are really preaching the true authentic gospel of Christ that they are bringing. They're bringing a, a lens and a, and a, uh, a deeper understanding of different aspects of the gospel. And so I really, um, and, and because I get asked a lot, I get asked about, you know, oh, what do you believe or what do you preach? And so I just felt I needed to just kind of come back to the basics for a little bit. And here's the other thing that I know. There's a, a friend of mine that says this, that we need to hear the gospel every day. And you know why he says that? He says that is because we forget we live, in, we live in a world that is operating according to the world system. And in 1 John, it says the whole world lies in darkness. You know what? There is so much dark knowledge that we are bombarded with. And I say dark knowledge. I mean fallen knowledge. And this fallen knowledge is constantly, constantly hindering our ability, I don't know, to live by faith. Um, and so, you know, we really can't hear the gospel really enough. And then here's the other issue I feel like, you know, I I say this in my own life. I mean, I grew up in church. I went to Sunday, I went to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday night after Wednesday night. I mean, we're talking from the time I can remember to the time that I graduated from high school. I mean, I, I, that's a whole lot of hours sitting in church. You know, I went to a uh, Southern Baptist College. I mean, I don't know how many times I, they, I would have heard a presentation of the gospel in the four years I was at college. But do you know that I never in all those years never actually heard the true gospel? I heard, I heard about heaven. I heard about hell. I heard about sin. I heard about that I was a sinner in need of a savior. So I heard a version, I guess. I don't, I, honestly, I don't, I don't feel like it was good news. I feel like it was scary news. You know, I remember having nightmares about the rapture, nightmares about being left behind as a child. I was scared. I mean, as a, as a 10-year-old, I remember praying the, the sinner's prayer for three nights straight, like just just in turmoil in my heart, turmoil in my heart because I was so aware of my sin, just that my need for a Savior. And I mean, I don't know what the seriousness of my sins were as a 10-year-old. I can't imagine that they were that horrendous. But the the angst and the pain and the the condemnation and the shame that I felt in, in praying those prayers. You know, it took three days, I think, for me to actually think, I don't know what happened exactly. Maybe just God got sick of hearing it. Um, but I, I felt like, okay, I'm sa- I finally felt saved. Finally, you know, the Baptist presentation of the gospel. I'm saved. Saved from hell. That's what I was saved from. 
I mean, if you really want to know what I was saved from, that's, that was my 10-year-old imper- interpretation. I'm saved from hell. That's all I understood. And I, I don't know that I understood anything more than that, honestly, until, fa- you know, re- fast forward my life, until I was in my 30s. And let me tell you, the, the, the relationship that I had with myself as a sinner was not a good relationship. I didn't have a healthy relationship with myself. And I didn't have a healthy relationship with God either. Because I, I, what happened in my own, I'm just sharing my testimony a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share the way out of this. But just to kind of tell you my own story, you know, I, I, I lived under the law. I lived under the law. I, I was a, a, a born-again, whatever you want to call it, Christian, living under the law. And so, you know, in, in the Baptist denomination that I grew up in, we rededicated our lives. So it was like this constant, you know, revolving door to the altar where you'd go out of church, but you got to come back in and you got to get back rededicated. Give me altar call every week that you needed to go to because guess what? Since last Sunday, you'd really messed up. And so you had to get saved all over because you backslid. So you backslid, then you got saved, you backslid, and you got saved, you backslid, and you got saved. You go to youth camp. Oh, man, youth camp was super depressing. Because, I mean, we were super, super sad about our sins at youth camp. You know, we'd spend all week with altar calls and rededications. And the problem was I could never do better. Like, no matter how hard, I mean, how hard I tried to be a good Christian. I was not a good Christian. I mean, I don't know, in the big scheme of things, if we had a contest of who was the best Christian, who was the worst Christian, I don't know that I would have been in the worst. I was just a kid, you know? But it was taxing. It was taxing. And I just finally remember just the futility of it all in ninth grade, just just coming to the end. I, I think I was, you know, didn't know what was happening, but I just kind of, the law is the strength of sin. And I'll tell you, when you live under the law, it is a curse. And so by the age of 15, I, I, I really had had it <laughs> with trying to be a good girl. And so, I, I, you know, many, many years later, I, I, the Lord brought back to me that I, you know, I, I actually made a decision in ninth grade to stop being a good kid, stop being a good girl. Goodness knows I was a, I might not have been a very good, good, a very good, good girl, but I was a really good bad girl. And so I spent the next, you know, almost 20 years being a professional partier, being a professional party girl. And, you know, I I share that to say it's been a long journey with me and Jesus from that 10-year-old who prayed for three days just to be saved from hell to someone who now is in full-time ministry. And now I actually get the opportunity and the, the privilege of sharing what the actual gospel is so that hopefully no one ever, ever, ever has to go through all of the years of pain and turmoil turmoil and honestly just self-loathing and abuse and all the things that I went through, honestly, because of a wrong presentation of the gospel. Literally, my life was stolen from me because of a religious presentation of Jesus Christ. It was stolen from me. The enemy stole me, stole my life from me in church. He actually came and stole, he killed, he destroyed. He's just like it says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
But it was crazy that the enemy used church. He used the gospel to actually, I mean, it wasn't the gospel, the fake gospel to actually destroy my life. It was religion. And so I guess I guess I wanted to give a little bit of a backstory about my story before I go into this series that I'm calling the gospel according to Shalise. And I still remember like it was yesterday, a drive home that I was having from a weekend retreat when I had my first encounter with Jesus. I mean, the real deal, the real Jesus, the real Jesus, not, not the one that had been presented to me, you know, not the one that I had, not the false Jesus that I had rebelled against, (laughs) that wasn't Jesus at all. And, you know, when you meet Jesus, and this is the thing, I mean, he's alive, he's meetable. (laughs) We can know Jesus for ourselves. We can experience him. You know, I didn't, nobody ever told me that growing up. I didn't know I could hear God. I didn't know that you could actually have a a relationship with an invisible friend. which is kind of what it's like, right? We have this this faith and this Savior and this God and the Holy Spirit and this Father that's invisible. But, I, you know, it is a little crazy when you think about it. But it's, 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 it's amazing when I met. When I met him, he was, there was no way that you could describe the effect that that had on me and is still having on me. In every encounter, in every way that I actually, every time I experience Jesus, every time I experience my Father in Him, every time I experience the Holy Spirit, how I am never the same. I'm not the same. Love changes you. It totally wrecks your life. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you value yourself. It changes the way you hold your head, the way you interact with other people. It totally changes you. Love ascribes worth to you that by that time, I mean, by the time you get through all the stuff I got through, you didn't, I didn't have a lot of worth. And when that, that worth comes rushing in, it's, it's, it changes everything. And so I want to start... I'll start this message also with the scripture that was presented to me when I first heard the gospel. It's probably the scripture, if you grew up in church, that you learned as well. But I'm going to present it from, first of all, let me share this. I'll share a story about when I first heard it. And then I'll share it from the way that I understand it today. It's kind of a pretty intense story now that I look back on it. I think I was in around kindergarten. I know the house I lived, I I, I probably wasn't in, I probably was younger than kindergarten. I think I was probably in preschool because I remember the house, the city, the church. I remember every place that we lived in. And just to kind of give a little bit more of the backstory, I mean, my mother, she grew up Pentecostal. So talk about a religious background. I mean, my mom, she's my adopted mom, but she grew up in a church in East Texas, very small, very poor family, very small church, very poor family. She was also adopted, raised by her aunt. Uh, but in this church, they weren't allowed to listen to music. They weren't allowed to cut their hair. They weren't allowed to wear makeup. They weren't allowed to go to a football game. They weren't allowed to learn. My mother was an adult, weren't allowed to swim. She didn't know how to swim because swimming was a sin. Everything was a sin. Makeup was a sin. Dancing was a sin. I mean, if it even, 
if it remotely looked fun or, you know, looked like there was any joy in it at all, it was a sin, you know. And so in my mother's defense, in my family's defense, we went to the Baptist church because you could wear pants and you could wear makeup. And so for my mom, this was like real freedom. So in her defense, I mean, this was, this was escaping. This was rebellion to take me to the, to the Baptist church, you know. And so I, I kind of, you know, got to honor that because she, she just, for her, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? And so I still remember, I was preschool or whatever. And so I, you know, sweet Sunday school teacher, I'm sure. Don't remember her name. Don't remember anything. Except that I had a little cross necklace. And I'm wearing a necklace tonight that just kind of has like a little round pendant on it. But this little necklace that I had on as a preschooler was a little cross. And I had it, I would put it in my mouth, you know, and you can't see what I'm doing. But it's like, you know, take the chain and and move it back and forth while I held the cross in my mouth. And my mom would always tell me, girl, get that cross out of your mouth. You're going to swallow that thing. That thing's going to break. Get it out of your mouth. And so I would do, I had like a, a little bit of a nervous habit. When I would do it, I did it usually when I was uncomfortable. I was, I, I don't know, there was, you know, I, because of some things that I now know about my childhood, I think I struggled with a little bit of shame and a little bit of nervousness. Um, and so here I was in Sunday school listening to what I remember the first presentation of the gospel. And I had this little cross in my mouth, and I was going back and forth with a necklace, back and forth with a necklace, because honestly, it wasn't good news. It was that there was something wrong with me. I was a sinner. And it didn't come across like it was good news. And, and the scripture that, that they used was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I don't know exactly why I focused on perish. And why I focused on the scariness of the whole hell and heaven message, I think it was probably because of some of the abuse and some of the things I'd endured by the time I was that age. And without going into all all of the down and dirty details, let's just say that I felt dirty. And so it really felt like this was not good news. And so right in the middle of hearing this presentation, guess what? I swallow the cross. Oh my gosh. They whisk me, the chain breaks, and I swallow this thing, and they whisk me up, take me, get my mom out of church, right? Tell her I've swallowed, swallowed this cross. And I mean, it was a big dramatic situation. We had to go to the doctor's, to the doctor, because I swallowed this cross. And, you know, let's just say the doctor said, well, we, we don't, it, it, it's probably not going to be serious, but she has to pass this thing. And you've got to make sure, mom, that she passes it. So I'm not going to go into all of the details about what my mom actually had to do to, to save me and make sure that I was going to be okay after swall- the swallowing the cross incident. But anyway, that was my experience the first time I heard the gospel. Well, I want to talk about John 3.16 for what it really means. You know, it's interesting. It, it, it's like 
probably the first scripture any of us memorize if you grew up in church. God so loved the world. Like, let's just stop there for a second. God loved the world. I mean, this is a rebellious world. It was a rebellious world. It was a, this was not a, a holy world. These were, this was, these were Adam and Eve's offspring, <laughs> right? These were murderers and adulterers and, and fornicators and, oh my goodness, you name it. Liars, thieves, people that were sinners, totally unable to even be faithful. You know, the, the righteousness is filthy, filthy rags. But this is the world God loved. He loved the world. And he loved the world so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So let me say this a different way. See, God's only begotten son, of course, is Jesus. But Jesus wasn't Jesus apart from the Father. See, the, the beauty of the Trinitarian message is that we have a triune God. We have a God of the, who is Father, we have a God who is Son, and we have God, Holy Spirit. And we could even see the Trinity in action even way back in the beginning in, in, in the first chapter of Genesis. You know, it, it, when you go and you really even read what was happening in the very beginning, all three members of the Trinity were present. How do I know that? Well, because, right, the Father is the one speaking. Let there be light. Right? Let us make men in our, in our image. He's the one actually speaking. He's the one with the vision. And the Holy Spirit was the one brooding over the waters in Genesis 1 verse 2. So we had God the Father, the one speaking. We had Holy Spirit brooding over the deep, brooding over the, the darkness, and then in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip down a few more verses, and it says, And then the Word was made manifest. The Word became flesh. Jesus was the Word. And what do we mean by Word? It means he was the voice. The voice translation is an awesome translation. In, jo- in, the, in the first chapter, well, in John, kind of the introduction to the book of John, if you go get the voice translation and you just kind of read what it talks about in the, first, uh, in the book of John, it talks about why it called that translation the voice because it's, it, it is actually named the voice because of the Greek word logos. And they, they said, although the, when, when, you, when you translate the Greek word logos, which if you look at that first verse in John, it's in the beginning was the logos. And the logos was God. And the logos was with God. If you look at that verse and you look at that Greek word logos, the translators of the voice translation said a better translation of that word logos really is the voice. Because it was alive, it was a moving, it was, it was more than just a word, it was a spoken word. Jesus is the spoken word. He is the communication of God. He's the communication of who God is. And so in the beginning, when God was saying, let there be light, the words, let there be light. God's words were Jesus. 
So even way back in Genesis, the Trinity is represented. So why am I saying this? Because it's important that you understand in, in John 3.16, when God said he so loved the world that he gave his only son, let's be clear, he gave himself. God himself became a man. God became one of us, y'all. I mean, that's crazy. This is like the best movie you could ever make. Like the best sci-fi movie. I love science fiction, right? You know, we have all these movies like Avatar and I don't even know other ones. You know, we're like alien. We inhabit alien. Aliens inhabit us. I mean, all this stuff with sci-fi. But God inhabited human flesh. The incarnation of God in a man. This is insane. But you know what's even more insane? When you start to realize that this was the purpose all along. That God wasn't even just satisfied to live inside of one man named Jesus, who was the only begotten son. But guess what? He wasn't the only son. (laughs) The only begotten one. The only one that came through a virgin birth. But he wasn't the only son that was born. The incarnation has happened in every single one of us. I'll keep talking before we get into that too far, but let me see this. So his, he, God so loved the world that he became a man. <laughs> that that he, he gave his only begotten son. He gave himself. The Father and I are one. The Father and I are one, it says in John 10, 30. The Father and I are one. It says, and then he tells you why. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that... Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. So I want to, so when we believe in Jesus, we get this thing called eternal life, everlasting life. Well, in my little Baptist head growing up, that was always translated to mean you get to go to heaven. So, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Let me just paraphrase it in my little Baptist world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not go to hell, but will go to heaven. So the gospel from my little Baptist brain and the way it was presented to me, it was a heaven and hell message. It was like when you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. If you, believe, if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. So believe in Jesus so you don't go to hell, you idiot. I mean, they didn't say it that way, but I mean, it's, you know, today I said before you life and death, choose life so that, you know, that you and your descendants may live. It's like that's heaven or hell, choose. Well, who wants to choose hell? Nobody wants to choose hell. I mean, do you ever heard about hell? The Baptists, they can tell you all about hell. And I'll tell you, it's hot. And it's not just hot. I mean, James Brown said it's hot in the hot tub. No, it's way hotter than it is in the hot tub in the Baptist hell. Right? I mean, Baptists are the ones that would do like, you know, the, they didn't do haunted houses. They did hell houses at Halloween. Right? And they would take you in and they would show you what hell looked like. And it was full of demons. And it was, it was, it's a scary, I mean, scary, scary place. It makes all, it like you want to go to the haunted house. You want to hang out with the ghosts and the ghouly goos at the haunted house. No, you don't want to go to this place. And, you know, and I grew up in the 70s, so this is like this is like when those really scary demonic movies were coming out, like The Exorcist, The Omen. 
I don't even remember all of them. You know, and you're not, I was not allowed to watch them, but you know, you always get a way to watch that way you're not allowed to watch. And that, that, that stuff will mess you, it will mess you up. It will mess you up. So I was messed up. I did not want to go to hell. It wasn't literally till years. I mean, decades, 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 decades. Till I actually read the whole book of John. As a matter of fact, now, if you enroll in Emerge, which I encourage you to do, by the way, a little commercial, go to Shalise.com and enroll in Emerge. I'm just saying. But if you do, in your orientation week, you read the book of John. I hadn't even read the book, the whole book of John, I don't think. And it's a beautiful book. Such a beautiful presentation of Jesus. Starting at about John 14, I just, whew, I could just stay there forever. And we might in this series. We might just go through the whole stupid chapter, the whole stupid, whole beautiful chapter. But in John 17, guess what? Jesus himself, in verse 3, defines what eternal life is. He actually interprets what he meant in John 3.16. And guess what? He didn't mention hell. There wasn't anything in there about heaven or hell or it just, it, it just wasn't there. And what was there, it was just like, what? You're kidding me. This is, if you believe in Jesus, this is what, what you, what you get. So let me read it to you. Go in there. John 17. I'm going to read it. I'll read it maybe a couple different translations. But in the Passion Translation, let me show you what it says. It says this. Eternal life, verse 3, John 17, means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. Can we read this again? Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. Okay, I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. It says it this way. It says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true, supreme, and sovereign God, and in the same manner know Jesus as the Christ whom you have sent. Now there is a, there's a version of this that is, I think it's the Amplified Classic Version, which I don't have on my little phone app here, uh, that really amplifies this word no that is here in John 17, 3. I'm going to read this in the voice translation before I talk about that Greek word no. It says this uh, in the voice translation. It reads verse 2 and 3 together. It says, because you have given me total authority over humanity, I have come bearing the plentiful gifts of God. And all who receive me will experience everlasting life, a new intimate relationship with you, the one true God, and Jesus the anointed, the one who you have sent. So this knowing in the Greek is a Greek word, gnosko. And this Greek word, gnosko, that's translated in English to the word know, is not, is a certain kind of knowing. And it's not the, like, I know Oprah Winfrey, right? Or I, I know Michelle Obama, or I know Julia Roberts, or, you know, I know, you know, Margaret Thatcher, 
you know, just whoever you want to say. Meaning, I've heard about these people, I, you know, and, and, you know, we could say Kim Kardashian. You feel like you do know Kim, the Kardashians, right? Because, you know, everything, you know everything about the Kardashians are on the show. Dear Lord, there's no, nothing sacred. I don't mean that. But the point is, we don't know them. We, we don't, we, we, we know about them. And if you did like a little circle of kind of intimacy, <laughs> you know, we got friends on Facebook. We know them. We actually do. Some of them, some of them we don't really know, maybe. Right? But then you've got your, your close circle of friends. You know them better. And then you've maybe got your spouse. You know them probably the best if you're married. You've got your family. You know them the best. The point is, is that you can, there's, there's degrees of knowing. And this Greek word, gnosko, is the most intimate of knowing. It's an experiential knowing. In Jewish society, in the day of Jesus, this word actually was an idiom for sexual intercourse within the context of marriage. So, I mean, the most intimate of knowing an experiential knowing of the person that knows you physically, spiritually. I mean, this intimacy. And this is eternal life. To know, to experience, to have this kind of intimacy with God. Whoa! What? What? Well, think about this. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. Honestly, it's a, it's a big problem. And I'm excited that it's my problem to solve. See, the problem, and I say this all the time. If you listen to my podcast, listen to me teach, you're, you get sick of hearing it. But I don't care that you get sick of hearing it because until you live it, I'm going to keep saying it. But you are one with God. And the kind of oneness that you have with God, I mean, it is alluded to in the garden when God made Adam and Eve, and the two became one. It's alluded to in the, the most intimate relationships of man and woman, and even the way that we they were a ton. What am I trying to say? Their, their, atomy, their anatomies were made and with procreation and all of these things. I mean, I, I don't have to you know, give you the, the sex talk right here. But the point is, is that this is a picture of intimacy. And this intimacy, this intimate knowledge, this intimate knowing, there is nothing more intimate than someone living inside of you all the time and you living inside of them. And I, as, we, as I go through this series and I talk about really what John talks about in John 14, and he talks about this whole idea. Um, I was reading this today in the, I was reading in the Mirror Bible. I love the Mirror Bible. And I was reading, I'll just read this. I was, again, I was in the introduction. Sometimes I just like to read the introduction these authors write. Uh, I just want to read this one part I heard him, that I read him say. I'll give Francis credit here. He says this. He says, Jesus says in verse John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. He says, none of the other disciples better captured the conclusion of the mission of Christ than John in 1420. John 1420. Here's what it says. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So this, this knowing in John 17, 3, this Greek word gnosko, which is translated know, which is a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. Ah, oh, this is a 
experience of God, an experience of Jesus. This experience is what defines eternal life. This is, eternal life is a kind of life. It's an eternal life in the fact that it is everlasting. It never ends. Now, granted, it doesn't start when you die. It starts when you believe. It starts when you believe. You no longer are perishing because you're believing. And what are you, what are you experiencing? You're experiencing this everlasting, this eternal life. You know what it is? It's God's life. That's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing the life of God. Because your oneness with God changes your experience of life. It changes your understanding of everything. But yet here's what happens. First of all, most of us never even hear this. And then secondly, we now know what to do after we hear it. Okay, so I'm hearing it. Shalise, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you that eternal life means that I'm one with God, that God the Father and Jesus are one, and now Jesus is in me, and I'm in, I'm in him, and there's this oneness thing. And I, I mean, goodness, I could go, I will go on to the scriptures that talk about how you are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I will go on to the scriptures that say that the same spirit that raised up Jesus dwells in you. I will go on to the scriptures that say, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I will go to the scriptures that say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I will go to the scriptures that say, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can go on and on and on. Uh, there's, there's 200 and... I want to say 48 references in the New Testament to you being in Christ, uh, something happening through Christ. I mean, this union language, this marriage language, this oneness language is the, the theme that runs through the, the New Covenant that we miss. We, we, we gloss over it. Like, we know these scriptures, a lot of us, but we don't, we don't, we don't experience these scriptures. What? We've never even been taught how to do that. And most of the time, I was talking about this big fat problem we have that that I'm here on the earth to solve. This big fat problem we have is that we live under the illusion that we're separated from God. We live under this illusion that somehow we are still separated from God. Kind of got a little bit of a Facebook debate going on on my page right now with some religious folk. Maybe they grew up Baptist too, I don't know you know, that's arguing with me about, well, they're arguing really with themselves. But, you know, they're saying, like, I don't believe that, I don't even know where they get this stuff, really. You know, I believe that we haven't fully consummated our our marriage with Jesus, our one, our union with God. That will happen at the return of Christ. You know, and I just said, you know, we're not, we're the bride of Christ. We're not, we're not the fiance of Christ. Now this just the reason why we have a hard time, I think, and feel so separated from God, and and we're not. I mean, we haven't even been taught a lot of times that this is the point: experiencing union with God, experiencing oneness with God, this experiential knowledge. But then we aren't taught exactly how to do that. Like, what does that mean? And so, very few people have experienced this eternal life. And so. This place that you come to when you start to detox from the religious notions that we have been fed 
about the gospel message. I mean, this here's the problem, and I, I'll warn you now if you're listening to this and you want to know more and you, you're ready because this is such good news, you just can't, you just can't stop. You've got to have more, which is how the gospel is supposed to feel. <laughs> it's not supposed to feel condemning and, and bad. It's supposed to, yeah, woo, it's supposed to get you excited. It's a joyful message. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So this is the fruit of this message, right? But, yeah, I'll warn you, it's like, a, it's like pulling like the little thread on a sweater. That you just like, oh, I see this is a little loose right here. <laughs> because the problem is, is that once you start to pull that thing, <laughs> that whole sweater, that whole construct is about to come unraveled. <laughs> because this union message, this experiential gospel, this eternal life, living the God's life with God in union with God, this is, a fa- this is the foundation This is the foundation of Christianity. This is the foundation of the gospel. This is not an add-on. This is not like one of the, this isn't like, you know, the doctrine of prayer and the doctrine of fasting that you just, you know, slap it onto the side of your, of your theological warehouse. No, you're going to have to tear the whole stinking thing down. It's not a message of heaven and hell. It's not a message of a lot of things that we get spoon-fed every single week in, in a lot from a lot of different places. Now, this is the foundation of the gospel is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And we say this, we give lip service to it. But this is about becoming one with one with God through the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I am going to go now a little bit more into this and, and take us over to John chapter 14. Uh, and I cover, if you, if you don't have a copy of my book, I, I encourage you to, to go get that. You can download my book over at thepathfreebook.com. And the ebook is totally free. So go grab yourself a copy if you haven't gotten that, because I actually do talk about this particular chapter in John in my book. And I, I think I do a really good, um, job of talking about it, and it's a good thing to have, you know, just to refer back to. Okay, but in John chapter 1, I'm going to read it. Let's go to the Passion Translation. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Okay, for some reason it's going really slow. Okay, here we go. In verse 1, Okay, here's what it says. Well, if it will come up, that's what it says. All right, here's what it says. It says, don't worry, chapter one, or surrender to your fear. For you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. Of course, this is Jesus talking. It says, my father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself, 
so that you will be where I am. And you already know the way to the place where I am going. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. Well, let me read this. Thomas says, Master, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way there? In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. Philip now speaks up and says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be all that we need. In verse 9, Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you don't, still don't know who I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that the Father is living in me and that I am living in the Father? I'm going to stop here, because if you go back here to these first, like, four verses. I mean, this is like, I think these disciples were totally, completely confused. Like here, Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to prepare this place of rest for you in my father's house. Now, when I grew up in the Baptist church, this scripture, they would say in my, you know, it would say in my father's house are many mansions. You know, that's King James version. There's other versions that say, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. That's another version. But we would sing this old hymnal growing up in the Baptist church that was like, you know, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where you'll never grow old. Like, I, I literally know it, right? And someday yonder. You'll never more, I'm saying it in my Baptist voice, wander, but walk the streets that, Sister Sally singing it, that are pure as gold. Right, that's Sister Sally's version. But the point is, is that we were taught, again, because everything in the gospel was a future message. So your mansion in the Father's house that Jesus was going away to prepare was a literal mansion. Like we were all going to be like in the lifestyles of rich and famous when we get to heaven. We're going to be on MTV Cribs when we get to heaven, (laughs) you know, with my mansion. Like you're going to come over and swim in my pool or am I going to go over and swim in your pool, right? Drive my Lamborghini. But the point was it was this physical rich house. So it was okay to be poor while you were here. You know, you go ahead and deal with that poverty while you're here, matter of fact, it was humble to be poor. We didn't have an understanding of what, if you're living in God, like, poverty doesn't make sense anymore. Like, that's a, the, see, this unravels everything. But, you know, when you read this, when he says, in my, I'm going to prepare a place of rest for you in the Father's house, this house, the Father's house, this is a metaphor. Remember when Jesus would say, you know, where does the evil spirit go when you cast him out of a person? And he actually started to use this concept about how our bodies are a house. And that when you, that when you cast out a devil out of someone, the house is swept clean. So the po- I'm, I'm not going to go there. You can look it up yourself right now. But the point is, is that house and a temple, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That house is, is a metaphor in the Bible for your body. 
for yourself, for your personhood. So when, when, when John, when here, when in, in John chapter 14, when Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for, of rest for you in the Father's house, he means I'm going to play, prepare a place for you inside of the Father. You're going to live inside of the Father's house. And it's a place where you belong. It's a place of rest. It's just for you. I mean, let me read it again with this understanding. It says, don't worry or surrender to your fear. For you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly. Because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself, to myself, to myself. I will take you to myself so that you will be where I am. Man, this is mystical language. Now that we are post-cross, we understand that where he went was to the grave. <laughs> and he was there for three days. And he was in those three days, he was doing, he was busy. He was putting blood up on the mercy seat, right? He's preaching the gospel to the saint, the saints that had gone before. I mean, he's busy making an open show of the principalities. <laughs> he's busy three days. And it says, and when he returns, when he came back, he took you. He's taken us to himself so that we'll be where he is. Right? When Jesus ascended in the books of Acts, guess what? The scripture teaches that we ascended with him. That Christ's resurrection was our resurrection. I'm going to go here with you guys. And the scriptures teach you that this is what the gospel actually is. It says, and where you are, where, and you already know the way to the place where I'm going. And they, they were just totally confused. We don't know where you're going. We don't know how we're getting there. We're totally confused, Jesus. And he's like, I am the way. I am the way to the Father's house. Union with me is the way to union with the Father because the Father and I are one. And he says this, he says, verse 6, no one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know the Father too. So this is, this is all union. This is Jesus teaching the gospel. This is him preaching the gospel about, about union. Right? And here's what it says. I'm going to go in verse 10. It says, don't you believe the Father is living in me and that I'm living in the Father? Even my words are not my own, but come from the Father, for he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Believe that I live as one with my Father and that my Father lives as one with me. Or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I have done. Verse 12, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my Father. Okay, this scripture only makes sense in the context of union. Why are we going to do the same works that Jesus did? And why are we going to do even greater works than Jesus did? Because we're going to have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus had with the Father. And Jesus is going to be living his life through us. And he, in the same way the Father did the miracles in Jesus, the Father's going to be doing the miracles through us. This is just a continuation of this way of life. And verse 13, for what I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask in my name. It says, and that is how the son will show what the father is really like and bring glory to him. Now, let me just go here. 
And it says here, it says, talking about the Holy Spirit now. This is the Trinity now. We've got the Father and Jesus. Now it says in 17, verse 16, actually, it says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another Savior. The Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me. Another translation, it says a comforter. And it says, and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him. So this is an invisible friend. It says, the world won't receive him because they can't really see him or know him. But you will know him intimately. There it is again. Because he will make his home in you and will live inside of you. I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as an orphan. I will come back to you. Soon I will leave this world and they will see me no longer, but you will see me because I will live again. And you will come alive too. So when that day comes, you will know that I am, listen to this, I am living in the Father and that you are one with me for I will be living in you. Wow. Wow. Whoa. This changes everything. This changes everything. I'm going to say it again. This changes everything. It changes who you are. It changes the core of who you are. You are no longer just a human. You are of divine origin. It makes the, makes the whole rest of the Bible make sense. Now, it may not write this minute because you're just like, your mind may be blown if you've never heard this before. But you are no longer defined by possibly the things that you've used to define yourself up until this point. The things that other people have, have used to define you. The labels, the whatever. <laughs> your identity has been constructed on up into this place you know even jesus you know he didn't go around saying i'm 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 mary and joseph's son he he didn't identify with this earthly i mean he did you know son of david i mean i'm not saying that he, he was in denial of it but it did not define him the father defined him his relationship with the father his heavenly father defined him And when the voice came out of the sky at Jesus' baptism and said, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased, the father's approval of the son. And then the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Again, beautiful picture of the Trinity coming and resting upon Jesus. You know, this is your relationship with the father. Jesus lives in you. You live in him, and and you are the delight of the Father. And you know what's crazy about all of this? The really, like this, if this isn't crazy enough, like the gospel is a crazy message about God coming to live inside of ordinary, for the most part, messed up people. Apart from Christ, right? We're a mess. In Christ, we're perfect. (laughs) In this union with God, like there is no other you or I that exists. Everything was swallowed up in Christ. And I I will talk about this step by step. I'm going to walk through this. But the crazier thing about this to me, this is crazy. 
I don't know. I just find it crazy. You tell me if you think it is. That in Ephesians chapter 1, that this was God's plan all along. You know, a lot of times we, and again, if you grow up in traditional evangelical circles, and, you know, if this is your first time to hear the gospel, you know what, just ignore all this mess that I've been telling you that I got taught. Because thank God you don't have to go through that. But for a lot of us, we have to unprogram a lot of religious nonsense. But this this place in Ephesians that I'm taking you in chapter 1, you know, this is crazy because Ephesians chapter 1, kind of like John verse 1, when it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, starts talking about the beginning. It's, it, you know, that, that John chapter 1 chapter, kind of it really goes with Genesis. If we were going to put the Bible in chronological order, John is talking about some stuff that was going on way back in Genesis. Well, here in Ephesians 1, it's telling you about stuff that was going on in Genesis. And here's what it says. I'll just start reading. Uh, in verse 3, it says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all of our hearts. So again, we're wrapped into Christ. We're inside of Jesus. Jesus is inside of us. But here's the crazy part. Verse 4, it says, And he chose us, to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he had laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. Verse 5, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love, listen to this, he has for his beloved one, Jesus, He has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Okay, I could keep going, but I'm going to stop here because this has always been God's plan. And I, I particularly love the Passion Translation because I feel the passion of God's heart when I read it. And I feel the way that Brian Simmons chose to translate verse 4 is so anointed by the Holy Spirit. Because when he says that he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself before he laid the foundation of the universe, and that because of his great love, he ordained us so that that we would be seen, listen to this, as holy in his eyes, 
with an unstained innocence, this beautiful picture of unstained innocence. Now, if you have grown up in the church like I did, let me tell you, the fall of Adam has defined humanity. The sin of Adam, the sins of the father, the, the, imperf- the, the guilt, the shame, the nakedness. You need to cover and hide, Adam and Eve, because you've sinned. You ate of the tree. You, you broke the commandment. But this is an incredibly different view into how God views humanity. Because it says here that long before, before the foundation of the world, before God said, there let there be light, before he said, let us create man in our own image, before he said, put Adam in the garden, before he said, let the man and wife become one, before he did any of that, before, before the snake was there, before he presented the tree, before, Adam, before Eve could evaluate everything and decide God must be holding something back and, and because we want to, he, he's, not, he's holding, withholding wisdom because this tree makes me wise. We can't trust God. We got to eat and takes things in our own hands and then all, all of a sudden the, their self-perception changes and now now they're, they're naked and they're shamed and they're afraid of God. They've got to hide from God. They've got to make their own, own clothes and cover themselves with, with figs. And they've got to, now, now the curse, the ground is cursed. And now they've got to toil for their labor and everything is jacked up and messed up. Before all of that, we were chosen. We were adopted. We were seen wrapped inside of Jesus. And we were seen holy. And we were seen with an unstained innocence. From God's perspective, by God's choice. The cross was not plan B. It was always plan A. Always plan A. Why? Because... It's the story of what love is. It's the literal revelation of love. And you can't, you can't reveal love unless there is something to love that isn't worthy of love. See, love, real love, isn't earned. It's not deserved. It's given. And it's a person. And only this incredible plan that was devised. I mean, came this this is love's plan. This is love's brilliant plan. To reveal love. And so this idea that you are dirty, that you are unworthy, that you are, should be covered in shame because of the sins that you have committed. And I'm talking about the worst of them. Or whatever. The ones that you don't even, I mean, and, and here's the thing. It's like, 
gosh, I could take this message in so many directions. It's, it's, it changes the way we even see sin. Sin is, my whole life, you know, for so many decades, it was such a scary thing. It separated me from God. It was, it was something that I was ashamed of. It, and it's all of the law. You know, it's the, whatever, the lying, the cheating. And the, the problem with the law, I mean, I, maybe I'll spend a whole teaching just talking about the law, but the problem with the law is that it's not just the things you're supposed to do and the things you're not supposed to do, right? You know, it, it, there's a scripture that says that everything not of faith is sin. I mean, there's a scripture in James that says if you offend in one point, you offend at all. So, like, I mean, you have to keep the whole thing perfect. It's like a pane of glass. Like, if you, one little trespass, one little slip, and you break the whole thing. Like, you don't get to just, like, pick and choose it. Like, you have to do, fulfill all of it. It's a, it's a, wow, it's a taskmaster. And sin is a transgression of the law. It's not, it's, it's anything that is not, and I will, I will do one of the, the steps on this. Just, I'll do some stuff in Romans 7. I'll do some things and just look what the law actually is. Because that's really deeper than I can go in tonight. But I, I will say this. this. This this just little passage of scripture here about, I'm going to read it again. He chose us to be his very own. Joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. So let me just go back to John 3.16 and let me wrap this up. Because when we think of it, and I started it tonight by saying God so loved the dirty world. Let me just say that. (laughs) That dirty world, God loved it. While we were yet sinners, Christ came. He died for us, that dirty world, that dirty, sinful, law-breaking world. But the reality is that's not how God saw us. Now, Shalise, what are you talking about? Like, he sees everybody like this? Like, he sees everybody wrapped in Christ? Or is this just the people that believe that he's wrapped in Christ? Like, well, there's a whole deal we'll go into that as well. Because the reality of it is, is what Jesus did on the cross was universal. Now, granted, not everybody's received it. Not everybody believes it. Not everybody's experiencing it. But Jesus sacrificed was one time for all humanity. And this reconciliation that has happened... God is not who we think he, he is or who a lot of us has been taught that he is. He does not see unbelievers as dirty. He does not see them as stained by sin. And how do I know this? I mean, think about this. You know, the, the, greatest, the greatest example of this is when Peter was sitting up on the, on the rooftop and acts, right? And he falls into a trance. He's hungry, and he has this dream about all these unclean animals, right? And he's just appalled because he's Jewish, and you don't eat these things. Like, he's having this dream about, right, these hoofed animals. And Anyway, he was Jewish. This wasn't kosher. He's up on the rooftop. He falls into a trance, and he has this, these sheets, and these animals start coming down. And I'll go into this more, but, you know, it, what was the meaning of this vision? What was the meaning of this vision? He's like, Lord! You know, because what Jesus, what, what the Lord said the vision meant was he said, rise and eat. Rise and eat. And Peter was appalled. He's like, I'm not eating this. I'm not eating shrimp. I'm not eating bacon. Right? These are unclean. And this is what the Lord said. He says, do not 
call unclean what I have cleansed. And so it changes the lens we see the gospel through. It changes the lens we see the world through. For God's, we could say this, for God so loved the world, he created the world. For God so loved the world, he stepped into the world. For God so loved the world, he saved the world. For God so loved the world, He invaded the inhabitants of the world. And so this is the beginning, part one, (laughs) of the gospel according to Shalise. And the thing I will say about this is, you know, when when I first met Jesus, I wish I'd known this gospel. I wish I'd known these scriptures. I wish I'd known about my union with him. I wish I'd known everything. All I knew, all I knew was that I'd swallowed the cross way back in preschool, prayed for three days when I was 10 years old to, to try to earn or be good enough or beg God, beg God, save me from hell, save me from hell. This is, this is what, I, what I knew. You know, and, in, and when I was driving back from that retreat and I met Jesus for the first time, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that vision. Jesus walked, it was rainy, really dark and cold. And when I say a vision, this, was, this, all, this wasn't an open vision. This was a, but a very powerful. I was driving when it happened. And, it's, you know, yeah, you can drive like on autopilot. So I, you, can, you can, my imagination was going at the same time I was just driving on autopilot. But I, in my vision, it was, in my imagination, so vivid it was this stormy night, cold, stormy night, cold, stormy night, Colorado, cold and stormy, you know? And here I was, a little girl. I was probably around eight. And I was hiding. I was hiding out behind this rock. And I was really dirty, really cold. I was shivering, and I was hiding. And Jesus came up to me, and he said, Where have you been? I have been looking for you everywhere. And I look up, my little eyes behind that rock, and I say, I've been a really bad girl. And Jesus, like he didn't even hear me. He said, get in the house. Get in the house. I'm like, what house? I stand up, and I can see in the distance, there's like this incredible house. It reminds me of like, I don't know, I grew up in, I mean, again, I'm like a product of the 70s and the 80s. It reminded me of the Dynasty house, if you ever saw the Dynasty series, like in the 80s. with I don't even remember those characters now, but something about Dynasty. It was a big, nice house. And the lights were on. And he's like, get in the house. And all of a sudden, it's like, I, I'm, I realize I'm freezing. <laughs> so I, I'm running, I'm running to the house. Jesus, we're running. Jesus is running with me. And man, we get there. He slams open the door and I run in this house. And oh my gosh, this house, it's like the epitome of home. 
first of all, it's Christmas time. I think they always celebrate Jesus' birthday in heaven. Christmas, and man, it smells like cookies. There's cookies in the oven. It smells like home and cookies. And I heard Jesus, he's, get up and take a shower. Get up the stairs and take a shower. Get in there and clean up. And so I run upstairs, and I've got a room. <laughs> and there's this shower, and it's, the, it's a blood shower. It's a shower with Jesus' blood. I know that may seem kind of morbid, but it did not seem morbid at the time. He's like, get in there, take a shower, wash all this off. And I, and I got in that shower, man, I just let all that shame, all that fear, all that dirtiness, all of that hiding, just let it wash down the train. And I heard Jesus say, come on, I've got a robe, a robe of righteousness for you. And I got out of the shower, and it was this big, fluffy, I mean, the fluffiest robe, ridiculous fluff. Like, you can't, this is not a real robe. I don't know. I'd love to have a robe like this. I'm way into fluff. This thing was fluffy and fuzzy. It was just out of the dryer. It was warm, and it had matching little slippers, fuzzy, big old, obnoxious slippers. And it was, it was awesome. And then he holds up this little dress. It's a beautiful, beautiful dress. And he sucks. He's like, it's a party dress. But I, I knew, he said, I got garments of praise for you. I'll tell you, driving down, driving home from that retreat that night, I, at that point, I don't know how I drove. I mean, just the tears and the coming, it just incredible. And you know, that, that encounter was with me because I, at the time, you know, I, I, I'd been, by that time, I'd been diagnosed with manic depression. I had addictions. I had bondages. I was coming out of a lot of pain. Been in therapy for years by that point on, you know, on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicine, all kinds of stuff. And I was just the, the level that my conscience, my conscience needed to be purged of condemnation and guilt and shame and self-hatred and punishment of myself for whatever. This, this little eight-year-old's still in there thinking I'm a bad little girl. And so that vision for me became a revelation. It became a revelation that started to set me free from unrighteousness. And an image that I had of myself as not being a, as not being someone that was chosen by God and wrapped in Christ and blessed with this unstained innocence and, and seen as holy from God's perspective. You know, from my perspective, I was totally stained and definitely unholy and definitely in deserving of punishment. And so this vision God used to really undo decades and decades and decades of really damage that religion had done in my life. And it wasn't, you know, it was several years after that. I remember I was spending time with the Lord and, you know, God took me back to that little preschool Sunday 
school encounter when I had swallowed the cross because I was nervous and felt so dirty when my Sunday school teacher presented the gospel. And he said, Shalise, you know, that was, I, I, can I help you make sense of that? I was like, yeah, I didn't really know there was anything to make sense of, really. And truthfully, the way he went back, it was, it was a really sad, kind of sick joke. <laughs> I didn't know what else to call it because it was like, he's like, you know, when you swallowed that cross, he said, you swallowed a version of the gospel. And I'm going to say it the way maybe Paul would say it. That was dung. You swallowed a version of the cross that was caca, they say in Spanish. It was poop. Now, is that, that's a, that's a crazy story when you stop and think about it. Given the call of God on my life, given what I'm doing, given this message I'm preaching today. See, let me, and I'm, I, it's actually incredible the way God weaves our life story together and makes something beautiful out of ashes and has a thread of purpose and everything that we experience. I mean, he told the apostle Paul, I separated you from your mother's womb and I called you to be an apostle. See, I was separated. You were separated. We were, we, wherever you are in your life, whatever your life has been up to this moment, it it doesn't even matter because there is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the, the worst things that you've been through. In, I mean, it's crazy that I now get to basically <laughs> just attack that spirit of religion head on. Just head on with the, the beauty of God and the goodness of God and the truth of his gospel message and his love. And so... I just want to bless you tonight as we wrap up and just encourage you that you are God's glory. You are literally the glory of God. You are a manifestation of his goodness of his delight, of his pleasure, of his best ideas, of his most brilliant plans to reveal his love, to reveal who he really is, to reveal what life is actually all about, to define what it means to be a human being, what it means to be divine, what it means to be a citizen of heaven, what it means to be loved, what it means to be powerful and perfect. And it really doesn't matter where you are I mean, it matters in a sense that you might feel confused. It might matter to you, but I'm saying it doesn't matter where you are on your journey to wake up to the glory of God that you are. Because God 
is making something so beautiful out of your life. And the moment you wake up to it is the perfect moment. Some of us wake up young. Some of us wake up older. Some of us wake up in our golden years. But it's perfect. Because the plan is to reveal God's glory. And whatever moment you wake up, it's the perfect plan. It's the perfect moment for the maximum glory. This is the perfect way. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that it was God's will that all of this stuff happened to me. But my life story and your life story is the masterpiece of God. And when I say a masterpiece, you know, when you, when you have like a master, a classic, a novel, a classic story, one that is read throughout, you know, centuries after it's written, you know, it's always a hero's journey. It's always the story of overcoming. It's always the story of a heroine or, or a hero. And, and, you know, there's always good. There's always evil. And there's, there's this beautiful plot that goes through this. And, and the victory at the end of the story is, it's, incre- it's an incredible, it's a masterpiece. It's a gone with the wind. It's, it's a masterpiece. And that's your life. You are the hero. You are the manifestation of God's glory that is going to be uniquely manifested through your life story. And so I just, um, I bless you on your journey. And I encourage you, you know, if you're hearing this and you're, I know, I know, it's, I, I can feel it. I can feel it in the spirit. It's like you just want more. It's like, what do I do? Well, you know, you pray. Pray. If you've not enrolled in Emerge School of Transformation, pray. Because part of my purpose is to wake up the glory. To wake you up to the glory that is inside of you and release that. And help you make sense of your life story so that you can, I I promise, you have the same kind of stories that I know that my little preschool presentation of the gospel and, you know, eating my cross and all that stuff was somehow tied into my purpose. But this is what I do. And I see it over and over and over again in the students. And so go, go to, go to Shalise.com. Check it out. And while you're there, hey, it's also a really good idea just to support the ministry. You can give a donation. And you can be a part of getting this message, the gospel according to Shalise out to the four corners of the world so that everyone can actually hear the gospel and everyone can start to experience God and know God, can experience their union, and can wake up to the glory and the gift that God created them to be. So I bless you. I bless you with encounters of God's goodness, encounters of God's love, and an awakening of your own that leads to a completely different perspective of who you are and how loved you are, how valuable you are, and how perfect you are.
because you live inside of Jesus and Jesus lives inside of you. Amen and amen.